Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double n. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 573 of the podcast and it is Friday the 10th of September 2021 as I record this. In today's show, I'm talking about travel writing with Jeremy Bassetti, who is the host of the Travel Writing World podcast. We met at Podcast Movement a few years back, and there's a picture on the show notes, and we geek out about all the different kinds of travel writing, from memoir to big ideas to travel logs and guidebooks. And this was one of those interviews, and I did it obviously a few weeks ago now, and I thought about a lot afterwards, and it's helped me make some decisions about my own writing, which I'll talk about in the post personal section in a minute. So this interview is also about discovering what we really want to write, especially when we're already cross-genre writers, and recognising and tackling imposter syndrome, (laughs) which Jeremy and I definitely suffer from in this area. So that's coming up in the interview. Nothing too interesting in publishing and book marketing this week, so I'm going to go straight into my personal update because I posted my annual lessons learned this week on the blog, as it has been 10 years of being an author entrepreneur. Yes, I left my job as an IT consultant back in September 2011. It's just crazy to think that. And I'm not going to read the whole blog post here. You can read the details links in the show notes, but I do have three lessons which I will briefly talk about. So my first one is when you get bored or things feel stale, hang on a bit longer. Things will change and you will too. (laughs) So as I've talked about uh, on the show, I was pretty, you know, bored with the whole write, publish, repeat model. I like change and obviously the pandemic (laughs) was more change than we all expected. But I've definitely this year I've been doing a lot of the in-between episodes and I've been getting into the technological shifts. In the last year, my attitude has changed quite a lot. If you listen to the AI posts in uh, before in 2020, before Christmas, my attitude is quite different now. And I am actually working on a creating with AI mini course. So that will come up at some point. But I definitely the technological shifts, as I said, I'm aiming to do an NFT in the next couple of months. So I feel like I've been trying to embrace the new uh, emerging technologies and the ways we can do things. Yes, I want to write, publish, repeat and continue the ongoing creative entrepreneur life, but I'm writing different things. I want to publish in different ways and use different technologies. So yeah, I'm reinvigorated for my next decade. So don't worry. I th- I was feeling like, oh, I just, it's, it's just the same, same again and again. And, and now I'm not, <laughs> which is good. So yeah, things will change and you change too. And sort of tapping into the new stuff you want to write and create and experience and try out. These are all part of being, uh, I guess, a more uh, long-term creative My second lesson, you can keep a mature author business going with just a few consistent actions. And this has been very, very good to realise in these difficult times. I mean, last year in, in 2020, I wrote that 
the global scalable digital business model is very good for a pandemic. And this year has been um, much the same, but this year has been much harder for me mentally and physically, to be honest. (laughs) I had a very difficult uh, first lockdown of 2021. The winter lockdown in January, February, March 2021 was pretty killer for me, to be honest. And then, of course, I got COVID in the in the summer in July. And so I've had these these episodes of not being able to do much, but my business has continued and I can pull these different levers in the business to make income when I'm not able to work. And I do things like I batch these episodes and there's lots of things that I can do to move things around. And there's only a few things I need to do consistently, obviously writing, but I haven't, I mean, I'm only going to put out a couple of books this year, (laughs) so much less than I did last year. Uh, But podcasting, obviously, I've been pretty consistent at podcasting, to be honest. And email, I've been consistent with email and a minimal amount of paid ads, most of which you can either outsource or schedule in advance. So I've cut back so much in the last year that has freed up more time for the other things that I was talking about, passion projects, learning new stuff, doing the in-between episodes, things that might not make money right now, uh, but will make money in the future. So yeah, really interesting. Also, direct sales have been super useful for making money (laughs) while I've been struggling because all I really have to do is send out an email with a 50% coupon and all of you wonderful people who buy direct either from my courses or my books or my audio books, you know, I get that money much faster than I do through the various other stores and I can make a higher profit. So yeah, I feel like the mature author business when you've got lots of books, lots of products, it does work. And if you're wondering, this is never going to work for me, or you're only in the early years, please know that things get easier over time. And in fact, on the Ask Ally podcast with me and Orna Ross this week, we talked about this development from the startup business to the mature author business and how the different challenges emerge at different stages. And once you're at the stage, I guess I am now, this a decade of full time, and of course, pretty much five years before that uh, of writings, 2016 was realistically when I Uh, 2016, (laughs) 2006, (laughs) when I actually started writing with the aim of doing this professionally, that 15 years. So, yeah, which is just weird. Time time is so strange with the pandemic, don't you think? It feels like it's it's speeded up, but also slowed down. We seem like we've been in it forever. (laughs) Anyway, so yes, hopefully that encourages you that you can keep a mature author business going with just a few things. And then my third lesson is you don't have to grow your business. Yes, I still have ambition and there are days when I want to win all the awards and I want to make my seven figures a year and all of this stuff. But let's face it, taking your foot off the pedal rather than pushing it down on the accelerator uh, has been increasingly important in these pandemic times. And Jonathan going back to his job, I really enjoy being a solopreneur again. This is my business. I love the freedom to create what I want when I want or not because I'm broken in some way. I like being a not very well-known multi-six-figure author as discussed with Patricia McLean in episode 552. Uh, the not very well-known multi-six-figure author can just get on with things. 
and doesn't have to deal with a lot of the hassle that the very well-known authors do. Uh, I also have these projects that I want to work on that might not make money now, may never do, but I want to do them anyway. So yes, you don't have to keep growing, growing, growing. And the pressure to keep growing is what breaks a lot of companies. So yeah, wherever you are on the author journey, do you really have to grow? Do you really have to push it? Maybe you just need to let it be and continue on on a path this year without having to go uphill. That was my metaphor. (laughs) So that is on the blog as a post or you can go to thecreativepen.com forward slash timeline and see everything since 2008 when I started blogging. I've been sharing these types of lessons learned so that might help. Right, so just coming back to my thoughts on this discussion with Jeremy that's coming up, it actually helped me come to a similar realisation as the discussion with Tom Evans did for fiction over a decade ago. And you can hear that clip in episode 500, where I go through significant moments on the show. So when I do episode 1000, if I get there, uh, this discussion with Jeremy might well be in the the, um, episode. Because I've been building up this idea of a travel memoir in my mind as one perfect thing, the perfect book that I'll work on and it'll encapsulate the important aspects of my past and my thoughts on travel and the Camino and it's deep and meaningful and it's all the things. And that is way too much pressure to put on a single book. (laughs) It really is. It's like, oh, this perfect thing. And it was just too much. The other thing is that we write what we love to read and through the pandemic and especially during my days in bed with COVID, I couldn't read uh, as it was too tiring, like too much brain power to actually look at something. But I listened to a lot of audiobooks and what I craved and listened to a lot of were these travel logs, the step-by-step journey of someone moving across the face of the earth in some way, usually walking because I like walking. Uh, I didn't want the deep and meaningful recovery from tremendous suffering. I just wanted to be with someone as they moved across the world. And there's a place for the tremendous suffering to recovery memoirs. (laughs) But I just wanted travel books about places where I could imagine myself walking alongside the person. And I started writing escapist international thrillers because that's what I craved when I was a miserable IT consultant. And so I will write some travel logs because I understand the need for those books. And that's what I've been craving there will be deeper meaningful aspects coming through as there are in my fiction if you read between the lines or the musings of Morgan Sierra (laughs) obviously my musings but they don't all have to be in one mega book and this is I don't know why I have to keep learning this lesson (laughs) but it seems like I do so I thought if I had to learn it again maybe you have to learn it again so the question is what are you building up in your head into this one perfect future book that someday you will write and it will be the pinnacle of whatever Uh, maybe that's too much pressure maybe you should do what we talk about and this kind of practice idea So I've typed, started, and when I say practice, I don't mean 
the book isn't great, you still do a fantastic book, but it doesn't have to be everything. It can be something smaller. So I have started typing up my notes from the Pilgrim's Way that I walked last October. I wrote a journal every day. I took a lot of photos. So I'm going to do that one first. On the emotional, deep and meaningful side, that might be my pandemic reflections because it was in a break between lockdowns. I I have fears about illness. I have fears about it was my first solo multi-day walk and uh, lots of other things that went on on that trip. So and I talked about some of that in my solo show on books and travel. It's called This Too Shall Pass. But I feel like a travel log is different. A travel book is the day by day journey as well as the reflections. I'll be doing the St Cuthbert's Way next month. So that will be the second book. So I'm kind of planning the Pilgrim's Way, then the Cuthbert's Way, and then my Camino memoir, or maybe the Camino will be a separate book and then my memoir will be different. I don't know, but I feel like I've taken the pressure off. (laughs) I feel so much happier. I feel like the dam has now broken around my travel writing. And those of you who follow Books and Travel, my other podcast, will know that I kind of talk about these things during the shows. And I'm kind of working, I've been working up to this for ages, but now I feel like perhaps the dam has broken. So there you go. Uh, One of the other practice pieces on Books and Travel this week was another solo show, London, A Personal History, which goes through the three phases of my relationship with London and some of my favourite places. So you can find that on the Books and Travel podcast. On the fiction side, I'm just about finished the draft of Tomb of Relics, just cycling through the last chapters, intensifying it. I had in mind what was going to happen, but as ever, discovery writer, things are changing. So that's fun. As this goes out, it will be resting for a week as we're having a little walk, walking break in the Y Valley, which is just a couple of hours away. Uh, It's way too much hassle to try and go anywhere else at the moment as these weird times continue. So pictures on Instagram and Facebook at JFPenAuthor if you want to see what it's like. I'll also be going to Hereford Cathedral to see the Map of Mundi. And if you've read Map of Shadows, you'll know how very cool that is. Although presumably I won't be travelling through it to another realm. And of course, The Relaxed Author is almost here out on 18th of September. So Mark Leslie Lefebvre and I are in the finishing energy for that. We've been uploading files and things and doing all the bits and bobs. And we have an episode coming soon on how we co-wrote the book, because it's definitely different to how either of us have done it before. So thanks for your emails and tweets and comments this week. There were so many of you who loved Becca's interview on strengths, which is fantastic. And there were literally what I've had so many comments and tweets and emails and YouTube comments. I think it had the most YouTube comments I've had in ages. So thank you to everyone who has left a comment. I'm so glad it resonated. Michael Yoder on YouTube said, this was a breath of fresh air and a chance for me to sigh. Becca really understands. I've heard other writers that you've interviewed say they write 2,000 words a day. That's good for that person, but I'm happy sometimes if I can manage one small scene that says what I really want to say. Thanks for this interview. Vivian Worden just left a tiny comment. She said, needed this. Uh, which I think a lot of people felt uh, when they listened to it. 
Thanks also to Lizbeth, who sent a lovely smiley picture of her out walking during one of the last times at my home of more than 50 years in Anchorage, Alaska. I'm moving my writing and my own podcast to Chattanooga, Tennessee. That Chattanooga is one of those famous places that everyone's heard of because of the song. But that's a hell of a move from Alaska to Tennessee. I think you're going to need a new wardrobe, Lizbeth. Oh, she says, for a much needed gap year that I forgot to take in my late teens. I hope your business plan includes 50 more years of the creative pen. (laughs) I don't know about 50 years because I'm 46. So I'm not really not sure I'll still be podcasting when I'm 96. But never say never. (laughs) And finally, Emily Robertson said, this one was so great. And in the proof that you always say podcasts sell books, I immediately bought Becca's book. (laughs) Indeed, podcasts do sell books. Lots of proof of that for sure. So you can leave a comment on the show notes or you can always go to thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast and find the latest episode. Uh, you can also tweet me at the creative pen with a picture of where you're listening uh, in these times where I have not been anywhere for so long. I like seeing where you are. So send me your view or picture of you out and about. Or you can leave a comment on YouTube if you listen there. And uh, as always, I love to hear what you think about the show. So today's show is sponsored by draft digital and I'll play a word from Kevin Tumlinson in a minute. Personally, I use draft digital for publishing to library services, to Nook and to other ebook platforms, and also for their ebook payment splitting with the relaxed author, uh, which makes it very easy to split the payments if you're co-writing. I also love their books to read URLs for easy to share wide links. If you publish wide, it's super useful. So make sure to set yours up at books to read.com and you don't have to use Drafter Digital to use that free service. So this type of corporate sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing, but my time in creating this show is sponsored by my wonderful patrons. Thanks to new and returning patrons in the last week. And thanks particularly to Aurora Winter, Mary Ann Hill, Kerry Stevens, Charles Mann and Gillian Price. And thanks to everyone supporting the show on Patreon for months and years now. You guys are amazing. And of course, I sent out special coupon this week to my Patreon supporters with uh, 50% off. So if you are a, uh, including the latest book, The Relaxed Author. So if you are a patron, you get uh, money off things and you also get the Q- monthly Q&A audio. So if you want to support the show with a couple of dollars or pounds or euros or Canadian dollars a month, uh, you can support the show at patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash the creative pen. Right, here's a word from Drafter Digital and then we'll get into the interview. Hey, this is Kevin Tomlinson with Draft to Digital. So if you've ever co-authored a book or tried to build a box set, you know the biggest pain is how to split up the royalties. That's why we at Draft to Digital have built D2D payment splitting. We've made it easy for you to share payments with other collaborators on your projects in whatever percentages you prefer. Right from the setup of your book, you can invite participants, agree on who gets paid what, and go. DDD takes care of all those pesky details like tax interviews and making sure everyone gets paid on time. And of course, you continue to own the rights to your work. So, get started on your collaborative project now at drafttodigital.com. We've made it easy for you. See you there. 
Jeremy Bassetti is a travel writer, editor, teacher, and author of historical fiction. He's the host of two podcasts, Travel Writing World and Sonus Loci, The Sound of Place. Welcome, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here, Joe. Oh, I'm excited to talk to you. So first up, tell us a bit more about you and how you got into writing. Well, I'm a teacher and I've been doing academic research and writing for like literally half of my life uh, since uh, university. My plan was always to turn uh, my attention to creative writing, to creative nonfiction when I finished uh, grad school. I always said that like I didn't want to be a secondary source, you know, I wanted to be a primary source. I wanted to, to create the things that the type of things that I was studying. But anyway, so that's what I did around 2015. I was studying and researching uh, about the business and craft of writing on my free time. And that's when I found your podcast. So I dabbled a little bit in self-publishing. I published a book, Denounced. It's a historical fiction um, set in Seville in Renaissance Spain. And what I'm really interested in now is, is travel, uh, travel literature, because I found out during the, the writing process of, of my historical fiction, I was drawing a lot, drawing on a lot of my personal experiences living in Spain for that book. And it dawned on me that this is a type of travel writing. I read in travel writing. This is what I'm interested in. You know, that's my home. So this is, <laughs> I found my home in travel literature. That's where, where I belong. That's my story in a nutshell. And we we met a couple of years ago at Podcast Movement and share this love of travel. And we're both, you know, with my books and travel show and your podcast, we're kind of working towards our own travel right, memoir. Right. But I mean, as we as we speak, the pandemic goes on and on. And I mean, we're both passionate about travel. What do you think drives our desire to travel and how can traveling help our writing regardless of genre? I mean, you mentioned setting a bit there, but maybe go a bit deeper on that. Yeah, I think um, travel springs from deep within us, like movement, migration are part of the human experience now. Uh, it's in our DNA. We have legs, right? We walk. And I think the modern uh, travel industry plays off these instincts a little bit, I guess. I don't know, like movement is a necessity. People, you know, follow follow food right? they follow the, the herds and maybe people move for spiritual or economic necessities and reasons but i'm not sure that that's travel when those meet uh those needs are met i think uh, what drives our desire to travel is like adventure or curiosity or you know boredom or marketing agencies or, or something like that I can speak for myself here, but what drives me and my desire to travel is like a little bit of curiosity and I think a little bit of, of restlessness. You, you talk about from time to time, Joe, about like refilling the creative well. Mm. Um, and like you, I think I need routine, but like I also need to break away from the familiar, you know, because I need to be inspired and, and, and traveling exposes us to new people and places and things. And I think it's cliche to say this, but travel can be transformative and inspirational. So, so you asked about like, how can this help with writing? Um, people say like, write what you know. And I think the curious traveler knows a little bit more, right? They can, travel can expose us to new ideas and experiences and settings and situations, places and character can renew our energy to, to write and, and live. So I think it's inspirational, transformative. It exposes us to much more. 
And so let's get into the different types of of travel books and travel writing, because on your podcast, Travel Writing World, you've interviewed loads of very famous travel writers. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, I talk to a lot of people too, and we both read a lot. So what are the different subgenres within the sort of broad phrase of travel? Because it's not just one thing, is it? Right, right. Yeah, they're, they're, I've tried to break it down, like the the travel genre, the travel writing genre, into kind of different subgenres. And I'm not sure that that's the right term, but like, yeah, let's go with it. Sub subgenres or frameworks or I don't know styles. Uh, they're they're different ones. And I think part of the reason why I did this was because, like me, uh, and, and I'm, I'm assuming other people too, like we tend to conflate travel book and travel memoir you know, as like this Mm. one thing. And if you read a lot of travel literature, you'll understand that there's much more diversity in terms of the styles of of, of the books. Um, So many people think of uh, like a travel log when they think of travel book or travel memoir, but I think they're distinct things. So subgenres. Okay. So there there are many, um, and I've listed out maybe like 10 or something on a post on my, my website. So uh, one of the main examples is what I like to call the quest or the mission. It's a subgenre of travel book where, you know, the author, subject, traveler, he or she goes off in search of something or to go somewhere, right? There's an external motivating factor for the narrative or the book. And one of the kind of common or most recent examples of, of this is a book by Sophie Roberts called The Lost Pianos of Siberia. And in this book, Sophie travels throughout Siberia looking for an old piano for one of her friends. She's a Mongolian musician. So kind of the inciting incident here of this book is Sophie is looking for a piano in Siberia. But this kind of springs the book from this, you know, the book branches out into Russian history, Siberian history, music history. So you know, this, from this quest, the book becomes something bigger or more meaningful than just the quest itself. So the quest mm. is one of the, the styles. Another one I like to call the journey. And this is a, a style of travel book where the it's like the quest, but instead of searching for something external to the author, subject, writer, you know, that person is, is searching for something within. So it's a book more about like self-discovery than um, external discovery, if that makes any sense. And I conflate this with uh, a travel memoir. So for me, like the word memoir comes loaded with a lot of uh, connotations. Like I think of a memoir as an intimate book, uh, a a, a book that deals with some kind of psychodrama. There's an intimacy there. You know, memoir has a particular tone to it. And for me, a travel memoir has the same tone of a memoir, but it's set within the context of of a travel experience. And so Mm. when the book is about kind of self-transformation or self-discovery, this is what I think of a memoir, travel memoir. And this is my term for this is the journey. (laughs) It's just a term to describe the, the same thing. Mm. Um, and I mean, an example there would be, I guess, the um, Wild by Cheryl Strayed mm-hmm. or sort of an Eat, Eat Pray, Love. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Which or does pe- have, which is a travel element, but is is a journey structure. Right. Yeah. It's three part. Right? It's nice in, in the title itself. It's a three part. <laughs> Eat, Pray, 
uh, love. Another great example of this is Peter Matheson's The Snow Leopard. And on the surface, it's about him trying to, he, he and a friend are trying to spot one of these elusive snow leopards, but it, it's a book that's much more than that, right? There's an inter, inner journey element to the book. Another one is, is what I like to call the mode or the, the, the method. And this is a type of travel book where the, the method of travel is front and center. So like walking travel books are really fashionable uh, of late. And in these books, we expect the author to give us an account of what it's like to travel on foot, for example, or on train or whatever the mode may be. But I, I guess like one of the things that we notice when we, we read in the genre is that these, like I like to delineate these subgenres <laughs> nicely, but they're never really like that. I mean, the quest and the journey and the mode, these subgenres are, are often blended together. The quest can have an element of walking or the journey can have an element of the quest or, or whatever. They're blended in together. I think what is central to all of those is setting, right? The place. Um, readers of travel books want to read about the experience of traveling someplace. They want a sense of place. Yeah, which is clearly super important. I think what's kind of held me back for so long, and, and I'm interested in your thoughts on this. So I've been thinking about a travel memoir for many, many years. And the ones that are sort of the famous ones, I mean, here in the UK, there's a big one at the moment, the Salt Path. Well, it was a big one a year ago or the year before. It's won all kinds of awards here. And it's the journey of a couple walking the Southwest Coast Path, which is about 700 kilometers, something like that. So it's a really big walk, but they start off homeless and kind of dying and then it's a transformation mm -hmm. journey and it, and eat pray love she starts off divorced and miserable right. and changes her life and then wild is the same the sort of miserable my life is is broken I'm so unhappy and then the, the journey is this transformation to happy and and I've been kind of stuck on this going do you know I'm very happily <laughs> married I'm uh, happy with my career it's not like I'm going on a journey to try and uh, go from miserable to happy uh, and also I'm not climbing Everest so it's not one of those sort of just big journey things the adventure, and so I, I, yeah. yeah the sort of adventure book and I feel like we maybe trap ourselves into thinking that it has to be from terrible place to you know I'm fine again type of thing what do you think about that emotional journey in in the travel book is it necessary I wouldn't say that it, it's necessary, but I mean, we're going back to this question of tone and, and intention here. Like I, if it's part of your narrative, if it's part of your story, you know, this kind of transformation, then yeah, have it be front and center. But like I read many books, um, travel books that are kind of travel logs where kind of the inner transformation or the inner journey isn't as front and center as it would be in kind of the journey or travel memoir type books, if that makes any sense. And that's totally fine. But, you know, some of the rewarding travel books, indeed, famous ones are ones that have a, kind of an element of inner transformation, along with the kind of external journey. Mm. And I think you can put the two within the same book, although it's so funny. Oh, absolutely. Because yeah, yeah I, I, when you say travel log, uh, there's this, again, there's a sort of continuum, but on one end, you've got the guidebook, which is <laughs> this many miles from here to here. And this is the history of the oldest building. And this is where you should stay. I mean, that's the kind of guidebook. And then there's the middle ground of some discussion of the more emotional side. And then there's almost nothing to do with the practical elements along the way. So what are you thinking in terms of your travel writing? 
Right. Well, so one we didn't mention this earlier in terms of one of the subgenres, but one of my favorite subgenres of, of travel book is is a subgenre that I call the big idea book, and this is a book where the writer has a, a big idea and he or she travels to different parts of the world or different places to investigate that idea. So it doesn't have a kind of traditional narrative not necessarily that we find in kind of like the the quest or the journey narrative books it doesn't have that arc necessarily but the reason why i like it is because it deals with ideas it's heady it it's a different type of book so the type of things that i'm working on and that pull me uh, and the other books that pull me are are these kind of big idea books and a great example of this is uh, mcfarland's um what underland mm. um Brilliant book. One of my favorite books. (laughs) Yeah. So in this book, you know, it's the idea of kind of subterranean spaces and and the the author goes to different subterranean spaces broadly defined around the world. And so that's really uh, interesting to me. Another great book, I don't know if you've heard of this one, is Cal Flynn's Islands of Abandonment. Have you heard of that one? I have heard that someone's recommended that one. I haven't read it. Oh yeah, it's 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 a great book, and so the author is um, I think she lives in Orkney, but anyway, she exploring spaces around the world that have been abandoned by humans. It's like a fascinating premise for a travel book, but necessarily she bounces around to different places, investigating this idea of human abandonment. Right, that's an mm. awesome travel book, <laughs> right? Oh, I've got another one for you. Smoke gets in your eyes. It's something like travels in search of a good death by Caitlin <laughs> Doty. And it's all about death culture in different places. That's great. Uh, That's great. Yeah. So I like this big idea travel book. And I think, you know, with people listening, I mean, you and I are total geeks in, in the travel <laughs> genre, but it's like travel is a word. I mean, you could say Underland actually fits within the nature writing niche. Right. Mm-hmm. as much as it fits and in fact he's probably more maybe they put that in travel because he has written a lot more travel books but actually it could be in geology you know it could be in right. geography uh you know uh, in that way so I think to encourage people listening and what I've found I think in in the interviews I've done for books and travel podcasts is that I've learned more about these structures and it's helped me think what kind of structure do I want to write? Could I write? And in that way, in fact, you know, well, I've just been thinking about this, uh, is that I've got one kind of memoir in my head, but also I'm thinking I want to write a sort of more list type book around English pilgrimages, which would contain a lot more practical stuff that I don't mm-hmm. really want to put in a memoir. You know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah, just, I want to circle back here about uh, something that you said about McFarland's book being more nature nature writing. Um, and so this is like one of the things that people have been talking about lately is that travel writing is, I, I don't know if being absorbed is the right word, but there's a conflation between travel writing and nature writing, which one, which one is it? Um, and it can be both. And that's, that's fine. When you think about travel writing, it doesn't always need to like deal with trains and planes and automobiles, right? It could, <laughs> it could, de- it doesn't always need to deal with culture. It can deal with nature or, or other frameworks, right? It, I think that the one, one of the beauties of, of travel writing is um, that it can be, uh, it's a chameleon-like. It, it takes on different forms. It's forever changing and, and, and transforming. It's, it's a wonderful space to be in. 
But back to this other point about the English pilgrimage idea that you have. And so I think those would be like more service oriented type of travel, travel books, like the guidebooks that you mentioned earlier. And mm. of course, like personal narrative can be sprinkled into it, but it's fundamentally a different, different type of book, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like for just practical things where you find things out. And I, I think because I come from a very, my nonfiction genres for, for is self-help mm. and I have a very self-helpy, I want to help people make the journeys in a way that is useful but those things don't fit within a memoir so what's hilarious is it looks like at the moment what what I thought was one book is turning into two or three <laughs> different things and I'm putting different things in different Scrivener projects That's great. yeah which is really interesting so we've talked about a lot of the things there that we like in travel books but uh, again we both read a lot of them what do you think are some of the common weaknesses that uh, will bring a book down in some way and, and any thoughts on fixing those okay so I, I get I'm just speaking from personal preference here but what I find to be one of the, the main weaknesses in travel writing is kind of the over-reliance on the travel log uh, and by that I mean like books that are, are just step-by-step accounts of a vacation without any story or, or substance mm. like it's like one croissant or bad hotel after another. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it, it, it gets tedious a little bit for, for me personally. I know some, some people who love that style, but personally, I, I, I don't. One of the things I think it's helpful here is to think about, and we're going to go into like nerd land here for a minute, but I think it's helpful to think about like the, the definitions of like vacation and, and travel uh, or the etymology of these words, because, you know, vacation think about that word it means like vacuum it means empty right it means uh it means like emptiness in some ways and i think this might be interesting to you joe but this one of the earliest examples of this word uh, in the english language is in chaucer's canterbury tales and it deals with the wife of bath and i know you live (laughs) in i live in bath i am a wife in bath (laughs) (laughs) one of one of her husbands uh i think he's a misogynist and gets pushed into fire (laughs) But he's reading a book, the Book of Wicked Wives, and they said they mentioned something about he's reading this book when he had leisure and vacation from worldly occupation. So, like vacation, literally is defined in the opposition of work, right? When someone is not working, whereas mm. in travel, you know, travel literally means work. It means difficulty. It means means uh, burden, right? In, in French, travailler means 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 work. So these are opposing ideas. Narratives about leisure without tension or complication or burdens or difficulties are sometimes boring, boring to read. But mm. narratives of some sort of work involved, personal work, personal struggle of a memoir or, you know, summiting Mount Everest or whatever, or books that take a, a, you know, a great deal of time and work to craft and write. Sometimes, sometimes those are a little bit more interesting to me. So weaknesses, I think, is just like this, you know, step-by-step croissant like, you know, <laughs> account. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, Oh, I, I totally, I totally know what you mean. But it, and it's so funny because I'm not going to say the name of this, but when I, I had um, eye operation, like laser eye surgery a few mm-hmm. years back, and of course you can't, 
open your eyes for a few days. And so I listened to a lot of audiobooks. And oh, and in fact, again, when I had COVID recently, I listen, I do listen to those travel travel log uh step day by day by day. You know, I got up and this was my view, and then I walked, these are all walking kind of things. <laughs> yeah, I walked yeah. from here to here because while I'm while I'm in bed and can't do anything, I like to hear the step-by-step journey and try and imagine. Uh-huh looking out at the sea or whatever and I don't really want to have the emotional angst side <laughs> of, of it <laughs> and then once I'm fine again I quite I like the deeper more meaningful memory thoughts but uh, I agree with you in terms of the the poorest travel books I think are the ones where they haven't edited for theme or metaphor right. or meaning or like I think the worst travel book could probably be made better by a good edit and cutting out just a lot of the extraneous stuff and then and and as I said editing for theme or or meaning or something like that because every single travel experience could have that could it Mm -hmm. couldn't it right yeah I know what you mean like um it it gets tedious to to read about you know how a beer was the most delicious beer someone has ever had but that's not the I don't want to like poo-poo the idea as you as you as you're mentioning here, I mean, there. If someone wants to write a travel log, if they're, if they're compelled to write one, that's a completely legitimate creative outlet, right? Writing about your mm-hmm. travels, like I get it, and that's fine. But I, I, I think a lot of good can come from thinking about story and thinking about structure and thinking about uh, about point and editing for editing for story and and trying to craft together something that's interesting for someone else to read. No, absolutely. Yeah, because a, a lot of I'm going through a lot of my journals at the moment from various things and mm-hmm. my journals are written for me. They're not they, they're not full of things right. that <laughs> are interesting for other people. <laughs> but when I'm thinking about putting them into the travel book, I I need to expand those and make them more travelly. And actually this is something I'm going to ask you wanted to ask you because you've got this interesting podcast Sonos Loci the sound of place. And what we need in I think a good uh, travel book, like we mentioned, Underland, sensory detail is critical in bringing a book alive, especially when it's an environment where you can't even really imagine what it might feel like. So what is this fa- your fascination with sound and, and how do we bring in these sort of sensory details into our writing? Yeah, so thanks for mentioning that other podcast. Uh, Sonus Loci, we Americans pronounce it Loci, um, but it's L-O-C-I. It's basically like, it's a podcast for me where I publish soundscapes from travel. I have these cool binaural microphones and they go in my ear as if they're earphones, but they're not earphones. They're, they're recording sounds as, as naturally as possible. And so I, was, I started to do this so I could like just force myself to, to slow down and pay attention to the world a little bit more. Like one of my pet, I live in Florida, not so far <laughs> from the beach. And it, one of my pet peeves is, and when people go to the beach, they bring their radios and, and it seems like they do whatever it takes to pull them away from the space that they're mm. in. Like, I get it. Like, I love to to jam to tunes. <laughs> but I found that the silence that people, you know, dislike isn't really silent at all. It, it's filled with sounds. And I don't know, it's a, it's a podcast where it's, it's an exercise uh, in paying attention for me. But like sounds like everything else, I think they're like the raw data for the writer, just like any other sensation. 
And I think sound is really tricky uh, to write about. I think the point for the trick is to not overuse it, but to sprinkle it in along with the other senses to give a full uh, portrait of a place. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Um, I think sound is is a way to give life and credibility and texture to the writing. And as 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 I think you can uh, agree, like it's it seems to be missing in, in a lot of writing. Yeah, and it's interesting. I I find uh, like smell. I find very difficult, and again, can be right. super overused. And it, it is difficult because often the word that you come up with <laughs> is is kind of the same word. <laughs> and if you want to explain it without using the same <laughs> word, it has to be different. But I also think you can do it through. You can do sound through action. So, for example, Jeremy put the kettle on. To me, does bring sound into the writing mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. this we all know what a kettle boiling sounds suggested. like yeah so it's almost yeah suggested rather than like here in bath people don't re- i mean we're inland but we have really noisy seagulls down by the abbey and this is a very unusual thing in in this area and so if i was writing about bath saying the sound of seagulls you know, whatever, playing with the rubbish at 4am <laughs> is actually a unique sound for this area, which makes it more interesting than mentioning maybe the seagulls by the sea. I don't know. Difficult. Yeah, no, yeah, no it is. It is difficult. And you're right. You're completely right. People can suggest sounds by writing about things in, in the environment, but people could also use onomatopoeia to great effect in the story or you know, to describe things like the rattle and the hissing and the gurgling of, of things. And, and the trick, again, is not to overuse it. But I mean, how how great can sounds be? Uh, you, well, sounds are so important to travel, like going to like a country in the Middle East or, or, or North Africa, and you hear like the, the morning call to prayer, the morning mozin, you know, and that can, you don't need to mention that every every day of your travel log or every day of your book for whatever genre, genre you're writing about. But by mentioning that, is something that can transport you into the to the place, right? And you don't mm. need it to 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 reinforce this all the time, but you can just mention uh, mention the muezzin calling or the the, the prayer hour or, or whatever, right? So suggesting the the sound, I think, is is a good way about. Yeah, definitely. I find it so interesting. And often I, as I'm writing things, I'm going back to places and what I mean, it's so great now I can go back to a place on Google Earth to have a look or I can go on YouTube and I can probably find a video of some street I've mm-hmm, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like a souk in the Middle East or, and, and you can pick up things that you didn't pick up the first time. And I mean, like I do personally, I read a lot of travel books to sort of yeah. mine them for ideas for my own writing, as we do with any genre. I, and how things are described. I mean, like Underland, I've got an ebook and hardback and audiobook. <laughs> <laughs> and I just listened to it. But I did want to ask you because I feel like we both are suffering from this, and which is a little bit of imposter syndrome around travel writing because we have both read and both read and talk to people who write what is frankly award winning literature. Yeah. <laughs> And I always feel like it's how I felt before I wrote my first thriller, which is, oh, I'm only allowed to write a book if it won, if it wins a prize or some kind of uh, famous publisher publishes it. So how do you feel about the imposter syndrome of the uh, of the travel niche? 
I, I feel it very strongly. Uh, now, part of the, the, the tension I, I think that you and I both feel here is you, we want to write about our experiences, but we also want to write something that's good and, 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 and meaningful for other people. And sometimes uh, that can get in the way of execution or actually writing the darn book, right? Just mm. the, the analysis paralysis or the imposter syndrome kind of stopping us in our tracks and preventing us from doing the work of actually writing because we're interested in the prize or or the attention or whatever fantasy we have in our minds about a book being good. And I that is certainly something that gets in my way. And part of the other issue here with travel writing, Joe, is that I'm sure you, you'll understand this, is that travel writing is a broad genre that we see a lot of it in, in kind of print publications and, and mm. that type of media, like for journalists. And that world is lock and key behind gatekeepers, right? You have to pitch to publications and editors, and most of the time they reject your work. So travel writers are kind of bombarded with, with rejection on a daily basis almost. And that can be, you know, that can be humiliating in some ways. It can make us feel like we're not up to snuff or writing good quality work, whatever that means. So it's something that I think travel writers feel, you know, (laughs) very strongly about. What what do you think Mm. about that? Yes, no, I definitely struggle, but I'm I'm getting... I think I'm getting to the point where I, I want to do it. And I think the pandemic's helped in terms of, I, I always say memento mori, remember you're going right. to die, but I've definitely felt it more this year <laughs> yeah. when I lay in my bed with COVID. I was like, I'll be so annoyed if I die right now. And I have a few books that I want to write as before I die. And I'm like, I should just get on with that. And like walking the Camino, I, I've wanted to do that for so long. And it, it's time to stop putting it off. And, you know, right. perfect is the enemy of good. And mm-hmm. the other thing is, I think, is the acknowledgement. And I've learned this from memoir writers, too, is that that one memoir does not need to be the only one. And I think for you and for me, we love travel and writing. This first travel book doesn't need to be the last travel book. So it doesn't need to be the book that represents your entire you know, life. And in fact, coming back to McFarlane again with Underland, he's written a ton of other books, but mm-hmm. that one seems to have hit hit a chord with so many people and perhaps because it's quite different. But so how are you going to get over this? Because I clearly want to interview you on the Books and Travel Show about your travel book. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so I think like many, many of us, the pandemic, you know, <laughs> proved to, to be complicated. It gave me some complications in my plans. I, in fact, right now I'm supposed to be in China. <laughs> like I've had this sabbatical thing. So what I'm doing to get on, I still have, like you, many ideas kind of swirling around. I have many different Scrivener projects. So there's always forward movement on one project or another. But what I'm doing to divide my time now is is research, and I, you know just for the type of travel books that I like, these big idea books, they're rooted in 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 research and history. So I've been trying to do some of that, or most of that now while I'm stuck at home and, and not traveling. So like I'm kind of deep in it, deep in it with uh, research and history, and in fact language study as well because I have. Well, <laughs> I was supposed to go to China, so I'm studying a little bit of Chinese to help me uh, with that. So there are things that you can do, I think, to, to buy the time. And, and when you can't 
travel because of pandemic or or whatever reason you can do research for the book that's swirling in your mind I guess mm, yeah absolutely and and I think practice so I've been doing you know solo shows in mm-hmm. fact I was writing this morning I've got a London uh, an episode on London which is incredibly hard to boil down London mm-hmm. to one solo podcast episode but it makes me it's almost like I'm practicing for the travel book so yeah I think that's good too and in fact I did want to just a final question around podcasting because both of us obviously have travel podcasts so do you think that podcast interviews help sell books and if people do write travel what are your tips in pitching because we both get a lot of pitches obviously yeah Short answer is yes. I just want to circle back if, if we have the time to, t- to talk about this idea of practice that you mentioned. I'm not, oh, I'm yeah. not avoiding Yeah, no, no, go for that. Mm. <laughs> I know uh, the idea of practice, I think that's an excellent point to bring up because you don't need to be somewhere exotic or whatever to practice writing or you know, doing the work. When I go for my walks, I, I bring my recorder with me and I'm recording sounds, of course, but I'm also dictating the experience of what it's like to be in a place. Right. And that can be a form of practice, right? A a form of practice of dictation, but also a practice of observation. uh, Kind of place making is so important to travel books. And if you're not paying attention to what a place is like, and you're not practicing describing or communicating that sensation to other people, then perhaps you're not doing a travel book, right? I mean, that's such a core element to the travel writing experience that it serves you, uh, I think, good to, to practice on a daily basis or whenever whenever you can. So in, interviewing and pitching, yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, podcasts sell books, right? It's like part of the machinery of, of marketing, right? In fact, our podcasts are uh, part of this machinery too, like in terms of content marketing, right? But also mm. more importantly for the guests, right? This is exposure marketing and certainly helps sell books. And how or why, like, I think it's, a good example. You you often talk about uh, Joe when you were in I think Australia and you were uh, you self published your first book and I think you like had the books in your garage and you went on all of the news outlets and you were talking to people on the radio stations um, trying to you know pitch and promote your your book. But those audiences have such a kind of uh, vast listenership or a, such a wide audience that a very small percentage of those listeners will actually have any pre-existing interests in, in the subject that you're talking about. But if you come on your podcast, Book and Travel, Books and Travel, or my podcast, Travel Writing World, to talk about your travel book, 100% of those listeners will be interested <laughs> in the subject, right? Uh, so yeah, absolutely. It's like a dedicated audience uh, built in and interested in your work. Uh, absolutely, it's going to help sell, sell books. But mm. um, in terms of pitching, yeah, I'm sure you get it a lot. Like, hey, I published a book. I'm available to be interviewed. Uh, that's probably not the, the good way to do it. For me, I, I, I don't know about you. I like emails that spell out as much as possible, like potential topics, links to the author's website and books, you know, just as much information as possible so that we're not kind of doing extra work to dig around and, and do research. I mean, I, you're busy. I'm busy as much help as possible in that email is mm. tremendous help, help, help is tremendous help what do you think about that 
Yeah. And I mean, especially because our travel podcasts are not monetized, either of us. Right, right. And, and so I have to spend time and money and energy on that podcast. So... <laughs> The more you can give me in a pitch, the better. And and in fact, yeah, and someone needs to have listened or understand a bit about us, you know, our characters or whatever, or what we're interested in. So for my books and travel, it better be an angle that I haven't covered. Like I, I've just had like six pitches for Portugal in a row, and <laughs> I've I've done After several your episodes. Portugal. After yes. Portugal <laughs> yeah, after my Portugal episode. And I'm like, well, could you pitch me again in a year? Because I've already done two on Portugal and I'd really like some other things. Whereas one lady who pitched me about Djibouti in um, Africa and I was like, OK, yeah, totally. You don't even need to say anything more than <laughs> I want to talk about Djibouti. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> you have your Djibouti. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because, yeah, yeah, I mean, no, most I, people won't be able to uh, find that on a map, and that's yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, no, I know, I know, totally know what you mean. So, like, in my podcast, one of my kind of angles is that we talk about the books, but we also talk about the business and the craft side of travel writing. And the pitches that kind of don't address that part of the show, it doesn't mean that they haven't listened to the show, but maybe they don't understand, like, what the show is trying to do. But mm. the pitches that do have that element in them, show me that the person that's pitching actually like listens and gets what's going on. And those rise to the top in terms of priority. Yeah, exactly. Because at the end of the day, we're doing this because we are passionate about it and love right. it. And we want to just have a good conversation with people. And also, you mentioned curiosity earlier. It is about curiosity. And I come away going, oh, yeah, that was really cool. I want to visit that place and read those books. And that's, that's just awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. It is good. Right. Well, we could talk about this forever, but tell people where they can find you and everything you do online. Well, the, the best place to, to, to go is my personal website. It's uh, my first and last name. So Jeremy Bassetti, B as in boy, dot com. Or if that's too hard to, to remember, my website, travelwritingworld.com has links to, to everything there as well. You can find me on Twitter, on Instagram. I'm in all the places, but I think jeremybassetti.com or travelwritingworld.com will be the best place. Fantastic. And you have a really good freebie on Travel Writing World. And uh, I was saying to you before we started recording, you should publish that. So people should go get that for free <laughs> uh, at Travel Writing World. OK, well, thanks so much for your time, Jeremy. That was great. Thanks for having me, Joe. So I hope you found the interview with Jeremy interesting. And even if you don't want to write in the travel genre, that we gave you food for thought about possible imposter syndrome and maybe breaking through to write something as a run up to whatever is the real book of your heart and the one that's up there is super important. So next week, I'm talking about writing and producing audio drama and podcast fiction with Sarah Werner. We have an interesting chat about the lines between podcasts, audiobooks, audio dramas and other audio projects, the challenges of writing for audio drama and the various elements you need from actors to sound effects and where to find them. So having given up on screenplays personally, <laughs> I am still very interested in writing a fiction project for audio at some point. So I hope you will also find the discussion interesting. So happy writing and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. 
You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.